Thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you for having me. And um, this is a, a talk that I've um, been giving for 10 to 15 years and updating during that time. Uh, I, I give it at the Academy every year. Uh, and so feel free to ask questions along the way um, and, and at the end. Um, what we will not be talking about is we'll not be talking about this. Um, what you see here, actually, this is the gentleman's calf. And this is where we were able to get it at the end of, of this is severe lymphedema from morbid obesity and venous insufficiency. And this is what you can do, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. What we'll be discussing are diseases that are, that are seen in the processes in the following cases. So this is a 54-year-old white male, 10-year history of severe pain, bilateral lower extremities. It's sclerotic, hyperpigmented. What is your diagnosis? How do you treat this patient? How do you cure this patient? Two years after treatment, the skin has become pliable. Uh, there's still some hyperpigmentation. The pain is gone, and uh, the patient is ambulating and, and doing much better. You can see the marked improvement in coloration, the sclerotic appearance, the inverted wine neck is, is now gone. This is an 84-year-old female with a 84-year-old white female, 20-year history of ulcerations, lower extremities. Here in the pretibial, lateral pretibial area, what is your diagnosis, and how do you treat it? Four months after therapy, she's completely epithelialized, healed the ulceration here. She had a, a fracture that was there that you saw in the previous one. That was not what we were treating. This is a 38-year-old male, 10-year history of pain in the skin, right foot, associated redness, oozing, reticulated stellate scarring. What's your diagnosis? How do you treat it? So two weeks after treatment, uh, erythema and scale are gone, subsiding. This hyperpigmentation will take a long time ago. The stellate scarring will not go away. So what do you need to know? Well, I'm going to use this patient as an example. Um, you'll see this patient has ulcerations between her toes. Okay. Um, she had been treated with steroids, antifungals, Lasix, antibiotics, wound care, and compression without improvement. Um, does the patient have arterial disease or venous disease? It's on the toes. So by definition, doesn't she have arterial disease? Um, so the first person we talked about had biopsy-proven lipodermatosclerosis. The second person had perforator-induced venous ulceration. The third person had atrophy bonch, biopsy-proven lividovasculitis, and your biopsies will come back lividovasculitis or uh, uh, vasculitis. Some people believe, uh, when I trained, it was a vasculitis. Some people uh, don't put it in the vasculitis category any anymore. And this really is just high-pressure venous-induced reticulated scarring is what it is. The fourth had normal arteriograms times four, multiple normal ABIs, had severe venous reflux. So what's in common with these patients? They all four had different manifestations of the same disease process, and that is venous disease, venous insufficiency of the lower extremities. What, the, the objective of this is to kind of give you an idea how to correctly treat this, but also to get rid of some of the myths. One of the myths is blood does not pool in the lower extremities. So don't tell your patients that it pools. If it pools, it's going to clot, it should thrombose, and then we won't have any more problems. The venous system is a low-pressure, slow-flow system. It is not a low-pressure, slow-flow system in venous disease. And I'll show you that later on. Okay? That's why you get sclerotic changes. That's why you get reticulated scarring, that's why you get ulceration. Putting your legs up does not help, okay, as a generalization. It, it will help people with mild, moderate disease, but it's, with severe disease, it doesn't. I rarely tell patients to put their feet up. Um, if, I've, if I've got the correct care, they don't need to put their feet up, okay? 
All right, so what do you need to know? We'll use this patient as an example. This patient was treated in October. Uh, she had already noticed significant improvement. By a month later, there was complete resolution of her ulcerations. Again, these are between the toes. And she had healed. So here she is, completely healed. Okay? So the important thing here is to understand venous disease is to understand the anatomy. It's all about the anatomy. If you look at this person here, I've mapped out the venous anatomy on this individual. This is the saphenous vein here. This is the secondary saphenous. And some people will call it the lateral, the anterior lateral vein. Okay? I call it the secondary saphenous. If I call it the anterior lateral, insurance will not allow me to treat it. But you can see if I treat this vein right to here, I'm going to get no improvement down here because everything will be rerouted down through here. They interconnect, and I'll have the same changes down below. Okay, that's the right leg. So we're going to go over venous anatomy just so you understand it a little bit. Superficial venous system and the veins that connect them. And the veins that connect them are probably just as important or more important than just the superficial venous anatomy. So if you look at the deep venous system, you're looking in the thigh. You have the common femoral vein the femoral vein, the profunda, which goes into the thigh muscles, and then the popliteal. And remember, these are mirrored by your arterial system, too. Um, the calf, you have the posterior tibial, the anterior tibial, the perineal. But remember, these are all below the muscle fascia, so we're not going to be involved in them, but they can all go bad. Remember that up to 90% of the venous circulation is contained within these veins. So below the heart, you got 90% of the venous circulation, which is inducing a great amount of pressure pushing out on the legs, okay? And this is just a, a description of, the, of the, the deep venous system. If we look at deep venous physiology, it's, it's under high pressure, while the superficial system is under a lower pressure due to valves that are there. The valves mitigate the pressure transference from the deep system to the superficial system. However, this is, I've taken an 11 blade and I've stabbed into the saphenous vein, and that's just, and this patient's laying down with their legs up in Trendelenburg, and this is the pressure that's coming out, okay? All right, so it's not slow flow, low pressure. What's important here is to understand the valvular anatomy of the deep vein. When it comes down to it, most people don't have the normal number of veins, valves. And what I mean by that is when you get to the femoral vein, you start, valves start to appear. You don't have valves in your vena cava. Uh, when you get down farther, you don't have valves every centimeter like the picture shows. You just got, you know, one, two, three, four, five valves. But it's quite common for up to a third of people to have one side that has no valves on it at all in the, in the um, superior aspects of it. So you'll, that's why it's real common to find people just with disease in one leg. You can pretty much say they probably are missing their valves and their deep system above that. What's important to notice here is the saphenous vein. There's usually one to two valves in the first four centimeters and five valves to the knee. So in the saphenous vein, you're looking at you know, seven to nine valves. And below the knee, eight valves. But if you look at the pictures, it looks like there's one every centimeter and you should you know, have a ton of valves and you don't. The short saphenous vein, which can also cause a lot of problems, you have one valve in the upper and maybe five below. And if you look at a recent evaluation, those with chronic venous disease, you know, they had a valve every 25 centimeters, which means they had one or two valves. Okay? The superficial venous system is a system you need to understand the anatomy. There's, the, there's two major veins. There's the saphenous vein and the short saphenous vein. Okay, the saphenous vein runs from the groin down the inside of the leg. The short saphenous vein runs from popliteal around to the outside of the ankle. 
The lateral subdermic venous system is that system you see that gives the arcade or the ladders on the side, uh, on the lateral of the thigh where people are coming in for sclerotherapy and things like that. There is a really interesting vein, it's called the vein of Giacomini, that actually comes off of the saphenous vein, wraps around the leg posteriorly, and it becomes the short saphenous vein. So you can have a person who has bad posterior disease, calf in that, that's actually due to the saphenous vein because of this vein of Giacomini. These perforating veins are veins that connect the deep vein to the superficial veins. They perforate through the muscle. They don't name them. These are the old names, but you'll still hear people use them that way. Um, we just name them by location now, where it's located at. Okay, and here's your saphenous vein. It comes down the inner thigh, runs around, and it'll run anterior or posterior to the malleolus. The short saphenous vein comes down typically and runs around here. What's real important is you see this dorsal arch vein. That dorsal arch vein connects the two systems. So the lady with the ulcerations between her toes, what she had is she had reflux here and reflux here, but she had, her anatomy was a pretty much a straight shot down to her feet. So guess where all that pressure was coming out? On her feet. And that's why she was getting ulcerations between her toes and on her feet, and that's why she had normal ABIs and everything. So it's real important. The other thing important here is the sural nerve runs through here, so you have to be real careful in treatment because you'll get paresthesias on the heel. Okay, so this is just an ultrasound picture of reflux. Here's your femoral artery, femoral vein. You have the patient cough, and it forces blood from the deep vein into the superficial venous system. This is the saphenous vein where they join up in the groin. These are your perforators we talked about. This is the muscle fascia. The vein comes through and, and connects. There's just the diagnosis for them. This is a cadaveric example of perforators. And you can see there's a ton of perforators. And these can go bad and be just as big as a saphenous vein. Um, and so one of the things is if you don't look for these perforators, you can have a lot of disease around the ankle and have treated everything above it and this doesn't get better because you've got terrible perforator disease. This is an example of a Hunterian perforator. This lady had had her vein treated. She came to me because she says, you know, I still have all of these here, and then I've got this in my thigh, and what it is is it's a Hunterian perforator coming out, reconnecting, and coming down. And there's just an example of it perforating. This is the muscle fascia here, and here's the muscle fascia as it comes through, and that's the Hunterian perforator. This is the example that you always see in the books of perforator failure. Here's the, oh, we've got all these valves, you know, there's one every centimeter. Remember, if this was a true picture, there'd be one, and that's it. As the valve gives out, pressure flows the other way, and then what happens is instead of normal pressure going this way, you've got pressure going this way, you've got pressure going this way, it alters the pressure throughout the system. This is a lady who stood up, I'd done a, I, I did a little phlebectomy, I nicked a reticular vein. A reticular vein are those little blue veins that are three or four millimeters that people stand up and, and women really come in the back of their thigh and they want these taken care of because they look terrible. Well, I nicked it, I didn't put a stitch in it like I normally did. She stood up and the, the pressure shot out four feet. Okay, and that's a vein. So she stands up and it's just shooting out there and they're like, come back here, come back here. And so I just put a little stitch in it and it's fine. This is just a perforator aside. You can have bad disease just due to perforators. This is lipodermatosclerosis. This is um, another sclerotic plaque strictly due to perforator disease, not due to saphenous vein, not due to uh, lesser saphenous vein. If you treat it correctly, you see you get better improvement in coloration, pliability, and everything improves. So just a review of the anatomy. 
Again, right leg, this is your saphenous vein coming down, branches out, and look, it goes right into these hyperpigmented areas. This is a posterior medial, we didn't talk about, usually these come back, but this is that you know, accessory secondary saphenous, and about 50% of people have this saphenous, secondary saphenous that runs medial to the knee, and you have to go through and treat that or else just the disease will continue. If I look at the other leg, if I hadn't done the anatomy, saphenous vein comes down, has a branch that comes over, is very tortuous, wraps around the knee. Right here it becomes tortuous, and then they come together, they join back together underneath the knee, and then they send the branch branches off down into this area. So here's just a little anatomy quiz for you, so see if you're paying attention. 36-year-old white male, seven-year history, ulceration, pain presence, presents to your office, works as a manager at Applebee's, okay? We've got these, you know, lateral and medial malleolar ulcerations, okay? We've got this hyperpigmentation up in the thigh, all right? So what vessels are likely causing this disease? And the answer to that is both the saphenous and the short saphenous. So the lateral ulceration tends to be short saphenous, medial ulceration tends to be saphenous, okay? We treat the ulcerations appropriately, okay? And that means we treat the appropriate vessels, the saphenous short, 10 weeks later, completely healed. Off to work. He did all the wound care at home. He was taking care of it before. Now, this isn't, this isn't the normal. Most people come in and they can't take care of it and there's a lot of problems, and, but this guy was doing well and... Uh, and, and we were able to get them taken care of. So the truth about venous anatomy, the truth is there's no standard anatomy. So don't, you can make assumptions, but you, you'll find you're wrong often. Everyone is different, each leg is different. The only way you can do it is if you ultrasound it and you diagram the venous anatomy to get it correct. You need to be aware of these anterior laterals, posterior medials, veins of Giacomini's, other things. So, the importance of venous disease, all these diseases are caused by venous insufficiency and can be cured when treated appropriately. Now when I say cured, if people have long-standing venous disease, you're not going to cure them, okay? Their, their skin is so bad that you can get them improved, but you're not gonna get them cured. So these we know, ulceration, lipodermatosclerosis, cellulitis. If someone has a recurrent cellulitis in one leg, it's more often than not just due to venous disease, and you take care of the venous disease and their cellulitis goes away. Stasis dermatitis, atrophy blanche. Atrophy blanche is not a vasculitis. It's not treated with steroids. And that's not gonna take care of it. Medically recalcitrant edema, lividovasculitis, painful varicostes, recurrent episodes of eczema, like if people are having recurrent eczema and they're having id reactions all over and they've got bad disease, you take care of their venous disease and you'd be surprised their atopy will improve 50 to 90 to 100% if they're, if they're good moisturizers. Numular eczema. Uh, you've all been given the diagnosis of numular eczema. I haven't seen a true case of numular eczema since I've been treating this in about five years. So numular eczema more often than not is due to venous disease and it's due to perforators, and I'll show you some pictures later on. So where does venous disease begin? And the answer is it begins on the inside. So by the time you see it, is there's been long-standing injury underneath the skin. And the problem is, as dermatologists, we're taught that you, know, you treat what you see, and, and it's kind of caused, and, and it's all just right there. Well, by the time you see this, it's been going on 10, 15, 20 years. And if you see a quarter size area, remember that's the tip of the iceberg, and the iceberg is usually eight to 10 times greater underneath, okay? 
we uh, took biopsies of lipodermatosclerosis and, and we looked at their, these 27 patients. We found that they have a lot of calcification, their elastin fibers. There's elastosis, means that they've lost their elastic fiber and there's calcification in the vessels. So this is just kind of an aside um, that it, it may be that there's a defect with the people, why do they develop lipodermatosclerosis instead of just, just ulcers or varicosities? is they're probably breaking, they have this elastic fiber abnormality, they're breaking, and then that pressure is being transmitted into the subcutaneous tissue. How does the body deal with pressure? Well, it scars over that pressure to try and hold that pressure back. So that's just an aside for you. So when you look at lipodermatosclerosis, it's really pressure or reflux-induced sclerosing dermatoses. It's a function of anatomy. They tend to have much higher pressures in their venous flow, and so what does the body do? It scars to try and push that, hold that pressure in. Well, what happens is, you know, it continues to progress, and it'll progress until you get to a, um, a diffusion equilibrium, meaning it usually progresses up to the calf if there's a lot of pressure, and then it stops because you've been able to equalize and diffuse that pressure throughout. So just be aware of that. Atrophy blanche. This is a 58-year-old male who came to me from uh, down south uh, in Arkansas, uh, he, want, he wanted to have his leg amputated because the pain was so severe and he was crying. And um, two weeks after therapy, pain went from 10 to 2. So here's his atrophy blanche. It's between the toes. It's on the lateral foot. It's in the pretibial area. So lateral foot, pretibial. Most venous disease, I see, if you notice, I haven't shown you all these ulcers around the ankle. I don't see a lot of venous disease around the ankle because hopefully I'm catching it before it gets there. Most of it I see pretibial. Uh, and so that's the big thing there. These are just some principles about equilibrium diffusion. And it just says that the pressure, you know, as the vessels get smaller, it doesn't decrease the pressure. That pressure stays there. So the pressure that's in the bigger systems gets, gets transmitted to those pressures that are in the smaller systems that are in those, those venous uh, venules that are just underneath the skin. So just be aware of that. The pressure does not get diminished as the vein gets diminished. It actually, that pressure is maintained. Um, if you look at the, as the radius is here, uh, you know, it, it will, is, as the, the vessel radius um, gets smaller, it doesn't necessarily mean that the pressure gets less. So, so what's the treatment for venous disease? A lot of people use aspirin, antibiotics, pentoxyphylin. You probably have people who still use that. Um, I haven't used that in five or six years, probably even longer. Uh, I only use it in patients who come and they're on it and they say it's benefited them. Most people cannot tolerate. The actual dose you need is 800 milligrams TID. The recommended dose is 800 milligrams, is, is actually 400 milligrams BID, but they've shown that this is the fibrinolytic. Uh, Stanozole you can't get anymore. I actually, instead of using um, uh, pentoxyphylin, I use Plavix uh, if I'm going to use something. Um, I find that works better. So the pre previous treatment algorithms, and we've been practicing this a long time, you know, everybody, had came, everybody comes in with TED hose. And just go get a pair of TED hose. TED hose are for non-ambulatory patients. They give their 8 to 12 millimeters of pressure. They don't do anything to counteract the pressure in the deep system. Um, you know, then, so the principles that, that I, when I first started, was no TED hose, got rid of all the TED hose, compress, 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 debride, debride, breed, treat surrounding infection, eczema, make sure they had no TED hose when they went home because they always seemed to 
take your stockings off and put them in. But, but what you want to do is, is, is get the correct algorithm. We still do compression with people with ulcers. You've got to get the fluid out. You must overcome the deep venous pressure using an unaboot. Um, you probably don't want to use this terminology anymore. You want to say a venous compression wrap because they've changed the coating on that. Um, and there's a Pro 4 dressing that's a venous compression wrap. I don't use it. This is too drying. More often than not, it's too drying. The endpoints at that time were no edema, soft tissue, no infection, or erythema, no tenderness. But, um, and then you needed to maintain them. You need to maintain them with class one, class two, or class three. I, I use mostly class one now. Most people, I, before, again, this is previous treatment, I used class two. Um, there are some other things that you can use that are non-elastic, like the circade dressing for somebody who has massive lymphedema or massive legs. It's a Velcro compression dressing that you can use. So the proper treatment algorithm is changed. And what you want to do is it's a good physical exam. You know, what, what do you see? Ulcer, lipodermatosclerosis, reticulated scarring, stasis, recurrent lower extremity numular eczema, recurrent eczematous changes to the lower extremity. Then you want to get your duplex ultrasound to examine and identify juncture, valvular incompetence, perforated disease. You want to see what's causing it. Now the problem is when you send them off for your ultrasound, you're gonna, they're going to come back and they'll say everything's normal. And you know it's not. And that's why I went and trained and learned how to do ultrasounds myself because I was getting all these people who had problems and you could obviously see it and they'd say it was all normal. Most ultrasound techs don't scan below the knees. And what they're looking for is they're looking for DVT between the, the knee and the inguinal ligament and they're just looking to make sure there's a little reflux in the saphenous. They're not checking the short saphenous. They're not looking at perforators. So surgical treatments for venous disease. Debridement, I rarely debride anymore. I hardly ever graft. Um, the growth factor stuff does not work. Um, it, you may get lucky, it works on one or two patients, but it's four or $500 a tube and it's not worth it. High ligation and stripping isn't used much anymore. Uh, I've done one in the past five years. Um, SEPS is just a perforator ligation method. And then most, uh, most of it's gone to radiofrequency or la laser um, endovenous occlusion, and that's what I'm going to talk about. So if you're looking at treatment options based on your duplex exam, if you have saphenofemoral or saphenopopliteal reflux, you're going to use radiofrequency or laser closure uh, or ligation stripping, depending on what it looks like. If you're looking at you know, varicostes and perforators, you're going to use ambulatory phlebectomy, seps is subfascial endoscopic perforator ligation. It's a, a little thing which you, you um, use to mess anesthesia to swell the muscles and you go underneath the muscle and you cut these. The problem with seps is they cut all the perforators when you really want to keep as many good ones as you can, just take out the ones that are malfunctioning. And that's why sclerotherapy or, or phlebectomy works better in those areas. Reticular veins, usually just ambulatory phlebectomy. As you get to these things, your sclerotherapy or, or superficial laser therapy as needed. So here's just um, an example of an endovenous closure procedure. We have an incompetent saphenous vein. Um, we anesthetize the area. We use these little hooks. So this is, um, we're going to be accessing the saphenous vein here. I mean, this is going to be as big as the incision is, is you stab with an 11 blade. You're, you're not cut a big cut or anything. It's a stab in one stitch. So we anesthetize the area. Here's your saphenous vein. This is called a ramlet hook. We bring up the saphenous vein. Okay, there's the saphenous vein. That's a really thick saphenous vein. Your, your saphenous vein should be about a quarter of that in a normal individual. Uh, we're 
we're um, isolating it. We'll put vessel loops through here so that we have isolation of, of the saphenous vein. We'll put a guide wire in it that you see here. And then after, this is just an introducer and sheath. We slide the um, catheter up. Uh, this is an old closure one, but it's, it's a nice dramatic. This is actually not even on the market anymore, but it gives you an idea. There's, you know, the, there was a current that used to flow between these two. Now it's just a solid current. Um, but this is where you put it. Here's your femoral artery, your femoral vein. This is your epigastric vein that drains the suprapubic area. And so you do this all under ultrasound guidance. When you put it in, you actually move it two centimeters away from the saphenal femoral junction, and then you activate it. Okay? Um, before you activate it, of course, you want to numb up all along. So here is the catheter. Here you're putting tumescent anesthesia around it um, and getting a nice halo of anesthesia so that it dissipates the heat and uh, dissipates the pain so you don't have skin or other injuries. Okay? So just an observational side before we go on is, one, I rarely tell the patients to put their feet up at home. Patient with minimal disease, it'll help, or severe disease, they still have reflux, as you've seen uh, with that one person I showed you, when they're, even when they're placed in Trendelenburg. So ambulatory phlebectomy, what we do here, we make little tiny nicks in the skin, we pull out the, the varicosity um, so that we can get it. So side effects. Really the main side effects is there, and I don't even consider it a side effect because it's going to happen. As you're treating veins or taking veins out, you're going to pull little cutaneous nerves with them. So they will get paresthesias or dysesthesias around the areas that are treated. Um, the DVT risk it runs for anywhere from 2 to 16%. Um, I've had one DVT in over 3,000 3, cases, um, and, and that's it. Um, preventing the side effects. One of the things we do is the patient is awake throughout this procedure, so they're able to tell us if it's, if it's hot, if something feels uncomfortable. We can stop, make sure they're comfortable, make sure they're treated correctly. There's feedback systems within the laser and the endovenous system to make sure that we're not over-treating areas. So when people are done with this procedure, they get up, off the table, and walk out. So, so treatment. Treating lipodermatosclerosis. Do not treat like if you're treating it initially, you don't treat the sclerotic plaque. You want to treat the vessels above it that are offending it and then let the skin soften over 6 to 12 months before you start going in and treating into the sclerotic plaque. There are exceptions to that, but that's just a generalization. So other things to beware of and be aware of. So this patient, they often have two diseases. Um, this patient had hydroxyurea-induced ulceration and venous disease. And so, um, and hydroxyurea is being used more for thrombocytosis, especially in younger people. So you may see more of these hydroxyurea ulcers. Uh, so you can see we had to get him off his hydroxyurea. We had to get his veins treated, short saphenous veins, both sides. You can see, um, you know, just several months after therapy, everything's improving and he's been healed for greater than two years now. This is a patient who had a saphenous vein harvest here. Came in because they had this area here in the pretibial area. Um, we look at the right leg and there's some stasis here. So we biopsied the left leg and you know, the, thing, the problem is morphia, lipodermatosclerosis, scleroderma, um, uh, lobular paniculitis, all look the same. So, you know, this came back and they said, 
you know, likely lipodermatosclerosis, but the patient has no uh, veins that would be, or perforators that would be causing sclerosis in that area. So they have morphia on one side and they've got venous disease on the other. So this is a classic appearance of venous disease here, but then an also classic appearance of arterial disease has lost the finger, feet, lost the toes on the feet, and so how do you treat it? You know, if, if this comes in, it happens all the time, they're gonna ask you, what do you do? If they have arterial disease, you know, do you smoke? Do you have diabetes? Do you have high cholesterol? That's three strikes, they're out of your office. Uh, they're over to the vascular surgeon. You know, don't, don't even mess with it. Don't, don't give a recommendation, just tell them you've got bad arterial disease, you need to go take, take care of it. If you cannot feel their pulses, and they have these three things, or two out of the three, three strikes, they're out. Um, and that's really important. Um, I, I don't use a handheld Doppler anymore because I have an ultrasound machine. I can just scan to see if I, the vessels are there. Um, but again, if you're not feeling pulses and, you, and you've got two of the three, then they need to go somewhere else because you're not gonna have, help them. Um, and, and so if they have this mixed disease, it's, it's not difficult to treat. Everybody panics. You get the arterial disease treated and then you treat the venous disease. If you improve their arterial inflow, then you can treat their venous outflow. Not everyone will get physical improvement, but symptoms will improve. This lady had such long-standing sclerosis, almost an Anheim band, um, but we still treated it. Her pain went away, but this, that scarring is not going to change. This, one, this, this uh, young woman had severe pain for two years. Again, she's got the pretibial plaque coming on, thickening. Um, you know, we treated the appropriate veins, the appropriate area coming down through here, and her pain resolved over two weeks. Um, this just shows that, you know, it's, it's not everybody's a skinny person with venous disease, and most people are not. Morbid obesity is a huge factor in this. So venous maintenance. If, if they're thin, they're not morbidly obese, you don't need to use class 2, 30 to 40, as you've all been instructed. But that's if they're treated. As after treatment, they need 20 to 30. Try to get the patients wear as much as possible. Uh, there was a study uh, we participated in where we looked at people if they'd wear their stockings, and 50% of the people stopped wearing their stockings after two weeks, and another 25% stopped wearing their stockings after three months. So 75% of people don't wear their stockings. And you have to keep reiterating. I always have my, the nurses ask, are you doing compression therapy? And just document that. You want to document that because that's going to, that's going to cover your butt. If they're not doing compression therapy, they're not going to get better, especially if they're obese. Because there's an underlying venous hypertension from obesity outside of just the venous uh, hypertension. This is a 43-year-old white female. You can see she's got the ulcerations, libido, you know, you can say stellate scarring, uh, libidovasculitis, however you want to call it. We, you know, multiple treatments. We treated her, she got better. So she came back two years later. And, uh, and so I said, wow, you know, she came back because she's getting some stasis dermatitis right here. She's getting a little stasis in this area. And, and she'd healed up really good. And I said, Leslie, you've done wonderful. You're doing a great job wearing your stockings. And her face just went down. She goes, I haven't worn stockings in a year. And I said, you know, that's, but she wore them for, you know, a year and a half afterwards. So she was religious. And, and she had been wearing them since she was 28 years old. And she was in her late 40s, okay? So she had healed enough now in this leg where she had, she had a little perforator here. 
that was emptying into a vein that came out and then came out. So we had to take the perforator out, the vein that was feeding into that area to get it better. Okay, these are her toes. Look at the venous disease between her toes. And remember, this is years later. We haven't got rid of the hyperpigmentation, but we've gotten rid of what's causing it. You know, we've gotten rid of, uh, of what's causing the scarring. So conclusion, one, know your anatomy. Um, you can see saphenous vein comes down, gets very torturous through here, but look, it leads right into this hyperpigmented plaque. Okay, this is, a, this is a, my favorite one. These are the ones who do the best. They have a straight saphenous shot right down to the ulcer. A big branch that goes right into the pretibular area. You can see there's these here. The nice part about these is you close this down, take this branch off, take the vein out from here to here. That closes up completely. That heals and goes away. So when they have that straight shot, it's like, this is, this is an easy one. Okay, Lateral foot, think short saphenous. This is a woman who came. She was doing excellent care. We treated her short saphenous. And just within 12 weeks, this is how much she'd healed. Okay. But not every lateral foot is a short saphenous. This is the lateral malleolus. But what happened is the saphenous came down and then wrapped around the back and came over here, not the short saphenous. So I had to go and do the saphenous and then take this out and around all the way down. So that's the importance of being able to do your own venous um, mapping. Not every leg is the same. Some have perforator disease, recurrent numular eczema. See, that perforator just affects that circular area right up above it, typically. Not all the time, but it can. If, if it opens into a vein or it comes straight up towards the skin, you'll get these recurrent numular eczema, and then they had classic axial vein disease on, on the left leg. So sometimes you don't get it the first time. This is just, this person had a perforator here. See, here's lipodermatosclerosis. It's treated, I'm not going to change this. We treated both legs, but we're not going to change that scarring. And she still had an area that was firm, and there was a perforator there, so we had to take that out to get that last little bit cleared up. What you want to do is get the skin pliable. You want to be able to move it. You want to be able to squeeze it. You want to be able to, them to turn it. Um, the scarring does not change drastically, but what's causing it does. So again, this is the gentleman who wanted his leg amputated. If you remember, here he is about six months later, and the, the, it's not oozing, it's not ulcerated, the hyperpigmentation is decreasing, he's walking, he's happy. And then, uh, you know, don't be afraid of a challenge. This is a 48-year-old, he's about 6'8", he's got acromegaly, 20-year history of ulcerations. You know, these, these legs look terrible. Two months after surgery, on the right, one month. You can see it's, it's epithelializing through here, good granulation tissue, it's shrinking. You know, look at between his toes, one month, two months, three months. So, and finally, remember that time heals most wounds when they're treated appropriately. Here we go from, you know, Africa to Madagascar, and, uh, and that finally healed. I mean, at this point, I let the, she, she, takes good, she took good care of it, so I just let her go at that point, she healed. So just some salient points. You know, venous disease starts years before you see the clinical manifestation. Correct diagnosis and the earlier treatment can provide a cure. Later treatment is not going to provide a, you know, back to normal, looks normal. Compression is a lifelong way to maintain a disease-free state. And that's easier said than done. But it's probably the most important thing. I reiterate to the patients, do you wear stockings? Do you wear stockings? I'd say about, I'm, I'm not even the 75%, I'd say 80 or 90% of mine, they'll come back, well, I kind of wear stockings. And they all say, I wore stockings, but when you ask them, they wear them maybe once a week or once a month. 
putting your legs up and steroids will not solve the problem. And I can't tell how many patients I get, well, how did they treat this? Well, they just, the doctor just gave me some steroids to put on it to get it better. Well, it's going to make the inflammation go away. Uh, it's going to help a little bit, but it's not getting rid of what the cause of the disease is. So, and that is it. Thank you.